Well, good morning, church. As we were singing, that song just struck about the fact that it's, it's about Him, and it's not about us. We all are going through various things. We've, we've heard that in Kenny's prayer earlier. There are things going on in our lives. There's things going on in this, in this country. These things could easily get us discouraged, but, but great, great is the Lord. And he is, he is worthy to be praised. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We are really finishing up a passage on Christ being the light of the world. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 30 of John chapter 8. And if, if you've been with us over the last few weeks or last few months as we're going through the, the gospel of John, one of the, the, the themes in the gospel of John is that uh, it's about coming to faith in Christ. You know, Jesus has been at this point preaching probably for about two and a half years, and one of the things you're hearing is that his time is short, and so as his time is growing short, he, he keeps on co- commanding the people to, to believe on him, to take him in, to, to, to follow him. And as the time grows short, there's, there's more and more warnings from Christ. And as we well know, there are religious warnings that we give as Christians, or we hear on the radio, or we hear, uh, hear about the, the second coming of Christ, and, and these religious warnings largely fall on deaf ears, don't they? People are more and more, I think, rejecting Christ. They're becoming more and more mockers. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It's been 2,000 years. Christians, you keep on saying He's coming. Where is He? Why hasn't He come yet? But the truth is, brothers and sisters, these, these promises in the Word of God are there to encourage us. And because we know who Christ is, we, we take his, his words to heart. And we believe Him because He's the Son of God who came down from heaven. He, he speaks the things of the Father. And because He speaks the things of the Father, we can trust what, what He says and what His Word says. I mean, Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Isn't that what people are, are doing today? Now, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon the pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, there is another warning, though, that, that people don't often heed, and it's, it's the warning of impending, impending death. Everybody one day will die. Each and every one of us will die unless the Lord comes back. You know, each time I go to visit my family in, in Missouri, we live in a, or our family lives in a little farming community, and we'll go there, and there's a, t- a small town called Balco, and there's, there's a graveyard there. And we will go to that graveyard because I have, I have many, many relatives that are, that are buried in this graveyard, and it's just this this little tiny graveyard, and I, and I think there's probably at least 14 headstones with 
husbands and wives. And I go there and I, I see my, my father's headstone and, and I see my grandparents' headstone. And my, I see my great aunt and then I see my great, great aunt and uncle. And then I see my, 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 my grandparents and, and then I see both sets of great grandparents. And then I see my great, great grandparents. But what that does is it, it reminds me, it reminds me of my death. I often think, should I get transferred there when I die and get buried in Balco? <laughs> this little town. Possibly. But these visiting a gravesite will make you realize that each and every person is going to die. And if you tell people and you remind them that you need to receive Christ to be saved, don't so many times people just act like, well, no, I, you know, I have all the time in the world to do that. I don't need to do it now. And if you ask people if they want to be saved, they say, saved from, from what? What do we need to be saved from? I'm, I, don't, I don't do anything really that bad. And when it's because of this attitude that Jesus is, is really escalating his confrontation with the, the Jews, with the religious leaders and the people in the, in the Jews that, of Christ, they have that same attitude that many people in our society have today. So I want us to see in this passage really two things, the warning, the warning that Jesus gives, but also the remedy for what Jesus gives. So read with me John chapter 8, verse 21 through 30. This is the Word of God. So he, Jesus, said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that as we hear these, these warnings, as we see the, the remedy that each and every person here would, would have grasped your goodness and your loving kindness, or that they would see or would have seen their condition and they would have put their faith in and trust in you for their salvation. But for those of us, Lord, who are 
already believers. We put our faith and trust in you. We, we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. I pray that we would also see the, the urgency to speak the truth and love to those in this world who are still in their sin, that they might not die in their sin. Make us bold, make us truthful, make us loving as you are loving. Lord, we know that these words that you spoke in this passage are words of love, or that you would want all to come to know you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, here, as we move on, is really just a, another typical passage that Jesus is confronting the Jews with, and, and they're, they're really confronting him as well. We, we were saying, who is he? What is he here for? Can we really believe what he says about himself? Is he really who he, he claims to be? But it's also about the Jews because you know, they are, are constantly described by Jesus as really the opposite of him. Jesus will say that, that they are of the Father, their father the devil, but my father is, is God above. Their origin is from below. Christ's origin is from above. Jesus is warning them about and telling about his impending death and that he will ascend to the Father, but they cannot go there. And so you have these, these interactions, and it's similar to a passage that we looked at a few weeks ago in, in chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, where Jesus says to them, I will be with you a little longer. What Jesus is saying is, is I have probably about six more months before my crucifixion. I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to go to him who, who sent me. He says, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Again, this is a, a condemnation to the, the, the Jewish leaders that they can't go to where Christ is going because they've rejected him. That's a similar statement, but, it, but in our, our, our passage, the, the tension grows. It grows, and Jesus' warning gets, gets stronger and stronger. And we know that in the context, he's, he's speaking about the light, that he is the light of the world. We see that, that back in verse 12, where he says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as the light of the world, as Christ is the light of the world, he, he has the right to issue a warning that if you ignore the light you can suffer the consequences. I remember uh, a number of years ago that me and my wife and two other couples went out to dinner in Long Beach, one of, uh, really our favorite restaurant. And, and after, after dinner, we were driving in, in our van, and I was driving home. And, and as we were driving, you know, I'm coming towards this intersection, and I was distracted by something, and I'm driving, and I don't realize that there's a red light. And as I'm driving, I hear this, this noise in the back getting louder and louder as I'm coming upon the intersection. They're, they're beginning to scream, stop, stop, stop. And I'm totally oblivious. Why? And I just go through this intersection, not even slowing down. There could have been dire consequences. But by the mercy of God... I wasn't, but, but Jesus has the right. Jesus has the right. He, he is the light of the world. He's the light of the world, and, and he can speak about that ongoing rejection of him. And if you reject him as the light of the world, 
if you reject him as the light of the world, there are going to be consequences to that. Many people don't believe this. They go about life rejecting Christ for who he is. No. In the words of Jesus in John 3.21, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his works should be exposed. Why do people not come to Christ? They, because they love the darkness. You know, I was thinking about this. Like, you know how the, you have these little creatures that you, you, you pick up a rock and little bugs, and what do they do? They try to get to the darkest place. They love the darkness. That's what people do. They, they love the darkness, and they don't want to escape the judgment that is to come. But we, we, we know Christ. We've heard of Christ. We, and we must put our faith and trust in Christ. And, it, and if you are confident, and I said this in my prayer, if you are confident that your sins have been forgiven you and that you are in Christ, you could think, well, what is this sermon about? If, if I'm already a believer, then it's not really about me, but, but it's truly about others. The question is, do we really believe that if people die in their sins and having reject Christ, that they will go to hell? That's a question that we have to ask. And if we really do believe that, then we should be telling people. But the truth is, sometimes, brothers, we, we, we kind of have a hard time with it. And I think the reason that we have a hard time with it is because we don't, we don't understand the holiness and the justice of God. And we think that we know better than God. But look, look what Jesus is saying here. I get everything that I say from who? From the Father. This is, these are God's words. So if you're confident in, that you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, that you are in Him, at least take these words to heart that that you should tell somebody else who doesn't know him. So there's two points to my sermon. I've already mentioned them, the warning and the remedy. So let's begin with the warning. Look at verse 21. And so he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now remember that Jesus is in the temple He's at Jerusalem. He's at the Feast of Booze. And as I said, six months from now, he's going to come back to the Passover. The scribes and the Pharisees are, are going to deliver him over. He's, he's going to be killed. He's going to rise on the third day. He's been making these predictions for two and a half years that, he, that he's going to suffer on a cross. His, his disciples are, are having a hard time understanding it. The people are having a hard time understanding it. But he knows he knows what's going to happen, and he says that, that they are going to seek him. And I don't, I don't think that this is they're going to seek him in a, in a positive way. Like, it's good that, that people seek God, isn't it? It's, people, it's good that people seek Jesus. But I don't think that's the way that, that Jesus is saying this. I think what he's saying is that they're going to seek him, but not in the right way, and they're going to seek him, and, and they will die in their sin. They're going to die in their sin. They're going to they're going to lose their opportunity, if we can say that. And so when we preach the gospel to people, we want to do it before they lose the opportunity. And many people die in, in, in various ways, don't they? I mean, some, 
have died in battle. This is Memorial Day weekend. We thank God for the, the men and the, the women who have died that we might have freedom. You know, I was thinking about this, that, you know, sometimes Christians come to church on the two big holidays, right? Christmas and Easter. Memorial Day is one day in the United States of America that I think we should come. These, these men and women, they have, they have died in battle for us, that we might have the freedom to preach the gospel openly. And we should thank God, and I want to encourage you tomorrow on Memorial Day, remember, remember that. It's not just another day off. But people die in different reasons. Some die in battle. Others, like Rosemary Niece this last week, died in her home, in, in a bed with her, her loving family around her. So people die in, in different ways. But have you ever had somebody tell you some really bad news, like somebody has died or, or maybe somebody has cancer and how, the, how that made you feel? I remember that when my mom... She was very sick, and we didn't know what was happening with her, and, and she called me one evening and said, I can't get off the floor. We didn't know what was wrong, and, and I went to, to my mother's house as quickly as I could. I, I got her up. I got her into the car. We went to Torrance Memorial. We were in the emergency room, and they did some tests. They did x-rays, and the doctor came in and said, you have cancer. And I remember the, the feeling. My, my mom's best friend had actually died probably just six months before this of cancer. And I knew how sick my mom was, and, and I knew at that time that this was, this was horrible, horrible news. I felt, and I looked, you know, as I looked at my mother in her eyes, and she looked at me, to be honest, we knew it was a death sentence. She lived about six more months. Another time I, we got some really horrible news was when my nephew, who was 12 years old, passed away suddenly. He was living in Ohio and passed away suddenly. And it's that news that you have that you're kind of just spinning, kind of out of control. How... How could this be? But when we think about my mom or my nephew or a loved one or Rosemary niece or, or maybe even others, dying is not the worst thing that could happen. You know, because with my mom and with my nephew, we had hope because they had put their faith and trust in Christ we believe that they would go to be with, a, with our Savior, and one day we would see them again. So the worst thing is, is not to die. But the, let me tell you, the worst thing to, is to, to die in your sin. The worst thing is to die in your sin. And if you have not believed in Christ, you are, the Bible says you're under God's wrath. Jesus says in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's present tense. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If somebody has not put their, 
their trust in Christ. The wrath of God remains on them. They are in a condemned condition, and there's no escape if they die in their sin because it's too late. We know that the wrath of God may not be experienced in, in this side of, of death, but there is a day coming. There's a day coming, and we don't know what that day is. A theologian by the name of Kenneth Gangle said this, to die in sins means to die with the burden of one's own sin and its penalty enforced by a righteous God. Jesus talked about hell here, although his listeners never comprehended that illusion. It is interesting that Americans believe in hell two to one over Europeans, but the percentage of people who believe in hell is much greater in this country than the percentage of people who think there is, is some possibility that they will end up there. People want to say, I believe in hell, but I'm not going to go there. Somebody else is going to go there. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. He goes on, he says, human perception tells us that God made hell for Genghis Khan, for Adolf Hitler, for Idi Amin, and Pol Pot. Somehow God will work out a plan to sneak them into heaven in spite of a lifetime of sin. This passage tells us that those who refuse the light will end up in eternal darkness and there is no escape. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. They are cut off. They, they love their sin. They cling to sin and there's no escape. You know, I had a friend years ago. I don't know where he is. I, I, I tried to look him up on Facebook as, as I was thinking about him as I was studying for my sermon. His name was Chuck, and when I came to Christ, I, I was preaching the gospel to him, and, and at least he had the honesty to tell me what he really believed. And he basically said this, that, I believe you, Jeff, but I like my sin too much. So I'm going to wait and do it later. <laughs> well, it's been some 30 years now. I don't know. Maybe he's still not ready. You know, sin has a hold on people. And, and these Jews who, who are standing in front of Jesus, how did they respond to this warning? Look at verse 22. He says, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is not a good answer. <laughs> Will he kill himself? This is, this is not, not the way to respond to the warning. You know, they have, they have mocked Jesus at another, at another time where, Jesus, where's your father? You're speaking about your father, where's your father? And what they're doing here is they're actually mocking Jesus. And we don't really see it. But what they believed is that if somebody committed suicide they would be banished to the darkest part of hell. And so basically what they're saying is, so, so Jesus, you're, you're going to a place we cannot come. Then you must be going to the darkest part of hell because we're on our way to heaven. Just the opposite, isn't it? No, he was going to a place they couldn't come, but that, that place was heaven. That was the, the, the place of the, the Father's presence. That was the place of eternal glory. And they were going to a, another place, a place of, of condemnation, out of the presence of God. 
And they accuse him of possibly committing suicide. And we know that Jesus didn't kill himself, did he? But he did go to the cross. And it wasn't suicide, but he laid down his life as a sacrifice. And there is a, a, a world of difference between suicide and sacrifice. Those men and, and, and women who died for this country knew as they went into battle that there was a chance that they would die. And they did not die in vain. They died for a purpose, and it was a sacrifice for others. You know, we've been, we were watching just a, a couple of months ago a, a series on Netflix called Chernobyl. It was about the, the nuclear power plant disaster in Russia and in that, in that movie, which is a true story, there were multiple men who were asked to go into this burning, radioactive power plant to do something, to shut off water, to do this, to do that, knowing that they were going to die if they did it. And over and over again, men went in and did it. They sacrificed themselves. No, it was selfless love for others. Suicide is a, is a selfish act. A sacrifice is an, an, an act of, of pure love. And Jesus says in John 10, 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. The Father loves Christ because he is willing to sacrifice himself. So the warning is given, but... Because of their pride, they rejected verse 23. He says, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, and, and they don't get it, they're, they're rejecting it. And these were religious people, they were, they were people who read the Bible, they were those who, who tried to practice the law. But Jesus is declaring to them that they are sinners, that they've missed the mark, that they have, they have rejected God. I think that this passage, these are some of the most sober words in the Bible. They, they wouldn't listen to Him. So Jesus has to, to make this contrast between Him and them. He says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. What He's saying is, I'm from heaven and, and you're from earth. Don't you think, don't you think I know better John 3.31, we read about this. He says, he who comes from above is, uh, is above all. What Jesus is saying is that he's declaring his authority. I am above everything. I have the right to tell the truth to you. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now, Jesus comes from above and he speaks what he knows, and it's truth. It's above all human wisdom. It's above all human reason. And these, these Jews are just like, just like you and me. We're, we're from below. We're from earth. You know, we started from down here, and he, and he started from up there. You know, I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel to, to different people, and one of the questions that often people will have is this, what about other religions? What about Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or whatever it might be? But Buddha's, Buddha is of this world. 
Confucius is, is of this world. Mohammed is of this world. L. Ron Hubbard is, is of this world. But Jesus, Jesus is the only one who has come down from heaven. And this is what we see right here from the beginning in, in John's gospel. And, and Dennis read from it earlier, the prologue. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, he was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God from all eternity. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the very beginning of John's gospel, this is what Jesus is proclaiming. And the Bible teaches that Jesus is the, the source of all things, but these Jews were from below, and, and they, they didn't have a, a heavenly perspective. It reminds me of Nicodemus in John 3.12, when Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus and Jesus says to him, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now they're, they're not getting it. And we know that, and we pointed this out, that dying in sins is, is a terrible, terrible thing. What happens to a person when they die in their sins? They, they have no way of removing themselves from the guilt of their sin at that point. Now, our, our chance is to believe now. The writer of Hebrews says it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There's no, there's no second chance. No, their sins can no longer be forgiven. All hope is lost. They must spend all of eternity away from the presence of the Lord because the holiness and the, the justice of God demand it. And as I said earlier, this is, this is a hard thing, and sometimes even me, I, I think, do I, do, I, do I trust you enough, Jesus, to believe this? And as, as, I, as I said earlier, the, the problem with me is I am from below. And because I'm from below, I judge everybody on my playing field, not on God's playing field. But God is perfect and holy and righteous and just, and therefore He must punish sin. And it's either punishing you and I or taking the punishment that was due us and placing it on His Son. Hallelujah. That God was so, so gracious to do such a thing. So that's the warning. But, but now let's look at the good news. Let's look at the remedy. So what is the remedy for dying in sins? There's only one way. It's a way that is, that is open to you and me. It's a way that I hope and pray that if you're here and you have not put your faith and trust in Christ that you would. It's a way that you can be released from all of your sins, whatever those sins may be. And it starts in the second half of verse 24. Look at verse 24. He says this, For unless, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That word unless is, is an important word. It's a it, it, it's a word of, of grace and mercy. It's, it means that there is an exception. It means that there's a, a way out. And in the Greek, it's actually two words. It's, it's eonme, where we translate unless. And these are the same words that, that Jesus used in, in John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
There's only one way to get to the kingdom of God. You must be born again. It's the same words that are used in John 6.53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. No, we, we, must, we must feast on Jesus. We must live in, in light of Jesus. And if you don't, if you don't, you have no life in you. So verse 24, unless you believe, and unbelief will leave you in, in your sins, but belief will remove your, your sins from you. Belief will, will rescue you. But also the, the object of your faith is important. It's not just belief in some unknown thing. No, the object of our, our faith is important. In verse 24, look what he says. He says, for unless you believe what? That I am he. It's not just believing in me as a great teacher, that I'm I'm a good rabbi, I'm a a prophet, or anything like that. No, unless you believe that I am he. And and just a note, I'm not sure what Bible version you're using, but in the, the, the ESV, it doesn't really show it. But in some Bible versions, the he is in italics because in the Greek, there is no he. There is no he. So we could read it this way, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. No, literally, Jesus is declaring, unless you believe that I am, this, in Greek, it's ego emi. This is the same as in verse 28, you will know that I am. We're also down in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And what did they do when Jesus said that? He declares, before Abraham was born, I am. And what do they do? They, they pick up stones to stone him because he's claiming to be God. What I think Jesus is doing is he's looking back at some passages, I think, in, in, in remembering passages in Isaiah, but he's also looking back at, at Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Remember that Moses comes and he, he sees the burning bush and, and God speaks to him from this bush. And after their conversation, God says, go back. And Moses asks, God, whom shall I say sent me? And God's answer is, I am who I am. And he says, tell them, I am sent me to you. And so Jesus is, is speaking as if he is the eternal God, which we know from the prologue in John 1, well, he is. But he's telling them that unless you believe that I am, you must die in your sins. And I think even more directly is, what I mentioned in Isaiah, that there's these prophecies about the Messiah, the, the servant of the Lord. And we know that in the, it, during the first century, the, the, the Jews had translated the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the, the Septuagint, into Greek. And in Isaiah, when, when, when they translated the words into Greek, it was, ego ami, I am. And so these same words are being spoken in Isaiah that, that are being spoken in John. Isaiah 41.4 says this, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that, that I am before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. What Jesus is doing is claiming to be absolute deity, 
Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Jesus is the God who saves. And so they, come to, to, they need to come to a realization that this 30-year-old man from Nazareth wasn't just another teacher, not just another rabbi, but he was God in the flesh, the only begotten Son of God, the, the Messiah of Israel. And this is what he's, he's been proclaiming in, in John's gospel. He's, he's the bread of life. He's, he, he gives life to all who feed on him. He is the light of the world. If you don't follow him, you, you remain in darkness. You must see him as, as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And there are so many things that, sadly, people believe in, isn't there? And it's not just false religions. I mean, some people believe in the, the teaching of Buddha or believe in Muhammad or even today, you know, I, I believe in, in myself. I'm the, I can decide whichever way I go. I, you know, you think about that kind of attitude, it's, it's really going against the Ten Commandments. You shall not make a, a graven image. People are making themselves in, into their God in their, in their own image. You can believe in mankind. You can believe in all kinds of things, science and, and technology, and, but none of those can deliver you from the sin, from sin. And, and the thing is about these things, Buddha, Muhammad, yourself, mankind, science and technology, none of those things claim that they can deliver you from sin. Only Jesus claims that he can deliver you from your sin. And that's the thing about false religions is, is they don't give an answer for this issue of sin. In, human, in humans. You know, and so they don't get it. And, and so Jesus tries to, to clarify that Jesus says that, that I am and you will die in your sins. You know, faith in Jesus Christ is the only remedy for your sin. And if it's available, then why do you, why do you want to look for another way? If God has told us the, the right way, why don't you just accept it? And the rest of this passage really just clarifies that. It says to them, so, so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. You know, I love that answer. Do I have to keep on telling you? <laughs> Do I have to keep on telling you? If people won't listen, yeah, you have to keep on telling you. I mean, don't we do that with our kids? <laughs> Why do I have to keep on telling you this? Haven't I told you this enough? You know, people have been told the gospel over and over again, and, and still they, they reject it. And he, can, he continues to answer this based by saying that everything that he does, he does in accordance with the Father. He says in verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. You know, it's interesting that they want to, people want to take Jesus and they want to place him on the even playing field with everybody else. But Jesus, as the Son of God, is receiving everything that, that he has heard from his Father. And so what the Father says is true. And verse 27 says, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. No, Jesus is saying, all that I've been speaking, all that I've been doing, 
Everything in my ministry is, is a testimony to me being connected with my Father. John 5, 19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is, is so connected with his Father that he's doing exactly what the Father wants them to do, and they don't get it. So Jesus says to them in verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that, that I am He, or remember that He's not there, that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. In verse 29, and He who sent me is, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Why did, why did God the Father never, ever leave Jesus alone? Because he always did the things that are pleasing to the Father. When we think about the gospel, we, we often talk about his incarnation and his resurrection, his ascension. One of the, the other things that Christ did is he lived a perfect life. Without him living that perfect life, he could not be the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. But he lived a perfect life. He, he always, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Can we say that? Anybody here? I always do the things that are pleasing to him? No, sadly, I don't often do the things that are pleasing to him. But Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. We have a, a great savior a great lord who lived that perfect life always did what, uh, what the father wanted him to do and he did that all the way to the cross when he says not my will but but your will be done we see him speaking of the the cross and in verse 28 he says when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that i am Lifting up the Son of Man refers to, to when Jesus Christ was crucified, to, to die for the sins of the world. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he had that standard that people were being bit by, by snakes, and they were dying. And Moses says, or God says, Moses, make a standard, hold it up in, the, in front of the people. If they look to that standard, I will save them. And Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, this is an absolute necessity, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You know, there, is, there is Christ on, on the cross, and I just want us to get a picture of, of Him there, that He's mocked and and whipped, and scored, and beaten, and a crown of thorns put on his head, and he's dragged out, and he has to carry his, his cross, and he goes to the cross, and they crucify him. And on that cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. But as we have that picture of him hanging there on the cross, I want, I want us to look at him, and, and I want us to say this, I believe, I believe, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. 
That same cross that was a, a cross of offense to the Jews is, is our cross of, of redemption. It's where Jesus was, was glorified on that cross. When he, and he says, when you, are, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you, then you will know that I am. And, and I think what he's, he's referring to is the future that, that people will, even some of the people that he's speaking to then, will, will look to him. After he has been crucified, after he has been raised, they will look to him and they will put their faith in him. When you look at the, the, the day of Pentecost, after Christ had, had risen and ascended, Peter's preaching his, his first sermon. And when he comes to an end of that, that sermon, they're, they're there listening, and, and he finishes with this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And he says this, This Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. And while the, maybe even some of these didn't have the right response earlier, this is how they respond to Peter. They said, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we, what shall we do? You notice that Peter didn't even have to tell them anything. He just preaches, you crucified him. And they're cut to the heart. The altar call comes from the people, not from the preacher. Because their hearts had been moved by the words of Peter, but the words of Peter were the words of Christ, what he had accomplished. And they put their faith and trust in it. And, and, and John concludes, John concludes in this passage, he says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Isn't that, isn't that good news? I mean, could you imagine if, if every sermon you ever preached fell on deaf ears and nobody ever believed it? But John says, and he was saying these things, and, and many believed in him, but not all. But not all. We know that some will go on to reject Christ and, and die in their sins. We know that others, like the disciples, will continue to believe. We know that others will, will have a superficial faith and, and again walk away later. We know that others will respond to the preaching of the gospel when the Son of Man is lifted up, like we, we read in Acts chapter 2. The question is, what about you? Have you believed? Do you believe? And do you believe enough to tell others that if they don't believe, they will die in their sins? For Jesus says, for Jesus says, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your son for sending him that we might have life and life in his name. God, we pray that, that Lord, we, we would be moved in our hearts that we might be proclaimers of this truth. Lord, where we have a hard time believing, Lord, that you would give us faith. 
Lord, that you would save us from the wrath to come, that you would deliver us from the dominion of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your Son in whom you love. Lord, I know that many of us have put our faith and trust in you, and we, we acknowledge that. But we pray, Lord, that you would keep us you would keep us and grant us favor, Lord, that we might continue to follow after Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.